Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. It's Phil Grooms here, and we have one other member of the podcast tonight. It's been a while, and we wanted to fit one in, and Matt was available. Actually, I think you were available Friday, right? I was. And I canceled on you, because <laughs> life's been insane, which is probably, I think it's mostly my fault. We haven't been podcasting, but we're going to fit one in tonight. Matt Baker, how's it going today? It's going well. It's one of those things where you look for any, uh, any given free time to be able to talk about it with so much going on. Yeah. I think it's been... Uh, Three weeks since our last show, three games since our last show. It kind of feels weird to say there's been actual matches uh, that have, have taken place. It's crazy to think how far we've come, but yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a lot to talk about. There is. Yeah, there is and there isn't, I guess, in a way. Um, but I'm really excited to talk about actual games. This is really going to be fun. Um, again, I've been real busy, so I think Matt's going to do a bulk of the heavy lifting tonight. But I think that's fine. That's great. We're going to talk about all the games for sure and then sprinkle in some extra stuff. Uh, Matt, um, why don't you start us off with the Chicago Fire? I know you've got, I guess, and also maybe let us know all the things you've been starting to track ever since these games started. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I've kind of tried to at least look forward to is um, for the Academy games, there's not, a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of press going on with them. There's not stats to keep track of on like an ESPN, on an MLS soccer. There, nobody has some like big database that they publish. Um, so I think it's, I think it's neat to, as much as we can with these, try to track uh, different stats that are either available or that we can just see with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. So some easy ones to track throughout these first three games are uh, games started, games played, goals. It's difficult to get more beyond that because there's nothing else published. The, mm-hmm. the team does a great, has been doing a great job with recaps, but it goes, it kind of stops there. Assists you can see with the naked eye to an extent, um, but they're not verified in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and MLS has that crazy thing where they count the second assist. So how, how deep are you really going to go? True. And it's just, I mean, it's some of it's a little too much uh, for what it's worth. Are some of these stats on MLS Next? That's something I meant to ask you earlier. I couldn't find a single thing. Okay, um, you tried. I tried. <laughs> I, you did. I, I, did some, I did some sleuthing, and there doesn't appear to be anything <laughs> that's really kept. So... I have no doubt that the team keeps their own stats. Sure. Um, now the question is, are we ever going to get access to what they mm. keep? I don't know. But um, yeah, I know. And, and this is another part of the fun conversation is we're actually talking about stats. So yeah, totally. I we it goes to how far we've come. We're at the point where uh, we're seeing match recaps. We're watching matches. We're it's almost like the old days of U.S. soccer where we're trying to find like live streams online. We're trying to find like bootleg videos of matches. These first three games have kind of given us a different, something different each week. Mm-hmm. You have the first game with the fire where um, one of the players, I think it was a player's dad, was uh, doing a live stream on YouTube. Um, the second week we had the home match and legit streams from Creepcore Soccer, which mm-hmm. shout out to them, they did an amazing job. And then this past week, because the 16s and 17s played at the same time, we got a stream of the 16s. Uh, so not a whole lot of video or information was available from the 17s, Beyond the match recap. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and honestly, not to get all over the place, but the matchups we've had in the past three weeks have kind of given us something entirely different to look at. You start with the shot and fire. So it's an MLS-MLS matchup. It's kind of everybody's expecting, I think, that to be... Nobody's really knowing what to expect, but you would think that an MLS Academy versus um, a soon-to-be MLS Teams Academy and us Mm -hmm. would provide a pretty good benchmark to go forward on. What kind of competition are we going to see in this? How are we going to stack up? Um, and they they kind of, I mean, they brought it. Uh, they came out with that early punch to score the goal in the first few minutes, I think. And so just seeing how our players responded under pressure. And they'd only been in practice at this point for five weeks, five or six weeks. Yeah, not long. Not long. I don't even know if it was that long. but And so just to see, you know, you're following along with the Twitter live stream, you're you're following along if you have uh, the YouTube stream available. And just to see how we react. I think that was one of the most interesting things to me is we have talented players. There's no doubt. We talked on our last show mm-hmm. about the who we brought in um, from all the different clubs and schools across St. Louis. Uh, who we brought in nationally. You know? And so we've got name. We've got some good. We know we have quality players. How are they going to mesh together? How are they going to respond to adversity and actual um, game situations in this environment because it's not like they've never played. They, you know, they've obviously had game experience, but in this environment with this group at uh, the practice fields right outside uh, Bridgestone or Bridgeview, 
whatever it is outside of uh, Chicago Fire's old stadium in SeatGeek. Um, Bridgeview. Yeah. Bridgeview, yeah. So just to see how they respond, and they came back, ended up winning the game. So it's back and forth. And I think um, my biggest takeaway from that was just they were able to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the, they're not just going to, to – uh, they're not going to roll over. They're not going to back down from the spotlight. Uh, they're this is the the premier uh, development league now in the country, and these are premier players. And so we got to see a lot through uh, watching the match and the live stream of all of the different um, tactics and the changes that were made. There were a lot that can be viewed, I think, from not just are we playing to win, are we playing to develop players, how are those two mindsets meshing? Mm-hmm. You know, Lutz was the coach of this game. He stepped in for um, for Andreas Schumacher until he comes in the country, so this is Lutz's team. And just to see what kind of a what kind of a coach he can be in addition to putting together the roster was really interesting to me. And it and it showed me that the players responded well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was obviously a lot of respect. There was a lot of passion. You saw the excitement from the videos. Um, that first match was, it was about all you could ask for, I think, from a fan's perspective in um, waiting for this to finally get started. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it almost seems, I think we were talking in our in our DMs that it seems like Luis seems to have taken the role of, of coaching after the first game. I don't know if that's true, but we were... He's at least been the, the focus with the interviews, and yeah. it seems to be, when you look at the sidelines, he seems to be taking that active role. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really cool to see. I guess I think I'm jumping ahead if I'm to do something like that, but I think at the very least, we could maybe perhaps, and I think we've gotten proof since then, that in the first game, that our team is going to have some backbone. They're going to have some, you know, mid Midwest strength and, and hardworking uh, mentality. And so I think that's what shows in, in that first game. And um, I think we'll have more thoughts on, on that kind of like the mentality of the team, the tactics, the perhaps mentality of rotation and that kind of thing. A lot of that goes into it, especially with um, the five subs that we've been seeing with COVID around the world. Uh, the tactics that have been implemented um, on rotation has been really interesting, especially teams that, that run hard, like, very clearly we will, right? <laughs> and that's the other thing is if you look at, um, we saw it at the home match, not to get ahead of ourselves, yeah. but the, the at leading up to, to our matches, we heard the, the glorious talk. We heard we're going to be an exciting team. We're going to play um, football that you'd love to watch. It's going to be fast-paced. It's going to be a high press. It's going to be, um, it made it sound like it's going to be a you know, high-level Bundesliga, in all honesty. Yeah. So you were, you were wondering, all right, how much of that's going to sink into the players? Are the players going to have to adapt to the new style of play because they're coming from all of these other coaching staffs, all these other yeah. uh, organizations, and it goes to how are they going to gel together, but how are they going to respond to what Lutz wants to uh, instill in this team? How does he want the team to play, mm-hmm. and how are the players going to respond to that? Because he, I mean, he recruited to an extent, but you can't necessarily recruit to your style. It's you recruit the best players, and then the best players are the best players because you feel they can work in whatever style that they're a part of. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You kind of said two things. I was going to disagree with you for a second, but um, you can't recruit to a style. I think you can. I, th- I think well, you can, but I think you finished it off. Like you found players, not necessarily that are already good at pressing hard or quick passing. You just find players that you think you can mold into exactly. your style is kind of what you're saying. You so can recruit I agree to a style that. in higher levels. Yeah. Like when you have the world at your fingertips, yeah. when you're looking at trying to recruit from a, a geographic center, yeah, you know your options are limited in that sense. Um, obviously, you have the talent in the area, and we've seen in these first three games that there does appear to be a lot of buying in whatever Lutz is selling. Mm-hmm. So the style, and and it does go to the high press, the um, the quick passes. That I took some notes in the Shadow St. Mary game, and the thing that stuck out with me, able to sit on my couch and watch it, was just the fact that, or rewatch it rather, just the, the fact that these are. These are exciting plays that are developing. Yeah. You know, you've got one-touch passes. You have give-and-goes. You do have the high press. Um, I think in some of the other games, the high press may have have bit us a little bit in some counters. Sure. But, I mean, that's going to happen, and, and it's how you respond it to is. that. So, and, and we did. We do a good job, it, it seems pretty apparent, right back from that first game against the fire, of possessing the ball and attacking and, and 
really, yeah. what was the word they used? Uh, swarming. So there was a video. They swarmed the offense. I mean, yeah. as soon as they, whether it was a turnover, whether it was just uh, the other club trying to make, uh, trying to play out from the back, they swarmed whoever had the ball really well. They created the pressure. Yeah. And I, th- I think we, we're going to talk about that in just one second. I, I just want to say that 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 uh, I wanted to look it up before I said it because you know you guys know my brain, but you know that game winner against the Fire was um, an 89th minute winner, right? So that's what we're talking about with you know having the guts to finish out a game to push past a team that um, has been built you know years ago is what they've been working with, and we're uh, you know it's our first game against them. MLS quality training, hopefully, you know, it's, it's the Chicago fire. So who knows actually, but, um, anyway, well, they're, they're U19s won MLS Cup. Yeah, right. Last, I mean, so, so there's gotta be some quality either in the players or the coaching. You would hope both, right? Academy play doesn't necessarily translate into the first team as Dallas has showed us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can, I mean, MLS clubs have the resources to develop players. Their academies are getting better across the board. So I think this is a big conversation because, you know, some teams, U19 is their best team in this case, right? And then some people have North Texas SC, right, playing. And and so that is a little bit weird. Exactly. And so I'm excited about that. Um, So that might have to do something with uh, Chicago's quality in the U19 level. Uh, but let's go ahead and just bring up Shattuck St. Mary's because this is going to be the bulk of our conversation because we saw it, right? We were able to watch yeah. the entire thing. Um, I guess, actually, why don't you start with the U16s? I didn't watch that one. That was the one I was actually able to go to. So I think it's fun to kind of frame the day for those who weren't able to be there. So Shattuck St. Mary was, uh, from the time of filming or time of recording this, about a week and a half ago, um, September 4th, and there was a back-to-back doubleheader, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. match uh, against Shattuck St. Mary. 16s were first, 17s were second. It was the first match for the 16s, so it was the first time they got to see the field. Um, and and we saw kind of just a almost a mirror image of what the 17s provided the week before. You know, there was a it, it, we didn't get our, our we didn't get a punch in the face to, to begin with, like the fire gave us for 17s, but there was that that attacking sense. There were high presses. There were swarming the offense. There was a desire to create plays. There was a lot of intensity you could see. I don't know how much of it was nerves because it was their first mm-hmm. match, but because there were some, um, you know, Eric shots, but there were a lot of, uh, I mean, there was a lot of impressive passes, even from the 16s. And from being there, uh, well, let me take a step back. So the whole day, you know, getting right before the game, um, there was like a, a tailgate there before the game. So mm. this is at the Creep Course Soccer Complex. Yeah. Um, they're close to 141 in St. Louis. And all of these other youth fields, there's other games going on. There's even a game on the, the field one right before hmm. the city's game. And you've got the Luligans with the tent. You've got the Luligan trail, the trailer out there. Um, there are people just walking across the, the parking lot. Uh, Matt Seebeck, the chief experience officer, brought that big city van. Parked nice. it right behind the stands next <laughs> to the field. So uh, city had their merch tents. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a game day atmosphere. I mean, we know it's, it's youth, but at the same time, like this was impressive for being a rainy day too. Mm. So there were, I mean, I'm sure that the weather, um, kind of scared some folks off. I mean, heck we're in a floodplain. The road to get there had a sign that said, um, floods possible. (laughs) And then the next sign 20 feet later is road flooded. (laughs) <laughs> so funny. So it reminded you a lot of soccer park, to be quite honest. In right. That sense. <laughs> but I mean, that was the whole lead into the game. And then you had, um, so it was, it was parents, it was family, it was fans, it was friends. Um, the sidelines were basically full by the end of the, by the kickoff of the 16. The sidelines were basically full of fans. Nice. In addition to the actual stands. So there, there were legitimate stands, um, just to the South of the field. Um, and so seeing them actually take the field, uh, watching in person those city kits, the, the navy blue or the river blue, um, mm. and I mean, it was kind of surreal a little bit to be able to watch city take the field live in person. I mean, that's with friends, with family. It, it's, it was just a fun, fun time. Mm-hmm. And so the on the field didn't really disappoint. Um, the team started off, it was... Not slow, but it wasn't as polished, I felt, as the 17s were the week before. Um, there were still a lot of chances being taken. Uh, the 16s, I think, 
they they didn't back down from any any opportunities. Um, the high press was there. They 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 did everything they needed to do to create chances for themselves. Mm. Um, one of the things that that you could start to see when you're watching it in person are some of the players to watch for, which I think is going to be an overarching theme as we watch these is you don't want to get too caught up in necessarily 16 and 17 year olds. I get that. You know, they're, they're kids. They're, they're not in their twenties. They're not professionals, but I, I kept having this mindset of whoever, like anybody on this field right now, having not watched a single one of them play before in my life, any one of these kids could be on city's roster and I could be watching that. So that's kind of the mindset I went into is watching the, not just the on the ball action, but who's making the moves, who's reading the defense, who's playing defense uh, to a next level. Like, is there anybody that really stands out? Um, There were a few players who you kind of saw that they did seem to want to make a little more move than, than I guess others. Um, There are some players who, I guess just commanded the ball and two games into the 16, you can even see it in that first game. The one that stands out is Jackson Delphus. Mm-hmm. two goals. He scored the only two goals in the first, in, in their first match. the 16s. Yep. And, um, getting into their second match this past weekend, he scored another six goals. So seeing that kid play in person. Yeah. It's I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So what see, position was he playing striker or was it a wing? Or do you know? Uh, it looked like they were on a two-man front. Oh, okay. So cool. He was, yeah, I, I could be wrong about that, but he was definitely either uh, a nine or a, like a seven winger. Cool. And he was—he was a physical presence. That kid was big. Okay. You're, you're standing there on the sidelines. Um, they don't publish, uh, you know, heights and weights because mm-hmm. they're kids, but he was a big guy. Nice. And he was 16, so it's one of those you're having conversations with people on the sidelines of, yeah, we know that that they're still developing, growing. I don't know if me standing here at five foot eight towers over any single one of these, these players. <laughs> Interesting. And so they, you know, it's one of those funny things of <laughs> of watching development teams play. Yeah. And so that's the one that stood out to me um, with the two goals. It's the obvious like man of the match, quote unquote. And so they, I mean, they gave the fans everything they wanted. It was the first first match of the day, and they started off. Now, unfortunately, I had to go after that one, so I didn't get to watch in person the seventeens. Um, but anybody who had any kind of alerts on their phone for the city Twitter account was getting blown up by the rest of the day. Yeah. I mean, the 17 just put on a showcase. Yeah, absolutely. And another cool thing before we move on to the 17s is, uh, you know, um, Lutz said, he's like, we're not stuck to a formation and we're stuck to a playing style. Right. So maybe we had two guys up front and that's really cool that, um, if that's the case that, you know, the, the 17s definitely played in what looked to me like a four through three. So, yeah, so that was, it's really cool that we'll be able to watch different styles and different, or the same style in different formations. That'll be fun. Yeah, the 17s did seem, and they, I think all three of their matches, they seem to have stuck to that. Um, so it, it kind of, you see what, you see what formations kind of mesh with the style of play. Mm-hmm. And and it could be, it could be that, it could be um, a personnel thing. It could be, let me see the 11 best players, and we'll see how we can slot them in. Does it? match the formation I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of conversations that I think are important to have with Lutz at some point, um, getting really into the nitty gritty of yeah. what goes on in the mindset of who do you play? Why do you play them? How long do you play them? Yeah. Because we want to win, but at the same time, we've seen in these first few games that there are a myriad of subs that happen in the second half. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, the first, first match against the fire, you saw, I think five, maybe six subs. But they happen pretty regularly, like those those three or so sub windows. Um, Lutz is utilizing them, or, or Luis is use, utilizing all of them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if it's a combination of you want to start your best eleven um, that, that fit in the formation you have. So you've got your four def- for the seventeen again, getting to them. You need four defenders, three mids, three forwards. But how do you go about who comes in at what point? Is it you know who you're going to sub in. You have a game plan ahead of time. I, I assume it's you have a you have a thought, but you're adapting to the pace of play. Mm-hmm. So how much of that goes to you want to develop all of the players as well? Right. So all of those concepts we're familiar with in competitive professional matches. Yeah, I'm excited to ask Lutz all those sort of things, and and that, that's a movement that happened actually with the uh, DA is, 
you know, I've heard it multiple times in different podcasts is that back in the day, it was like when we first started figuring out academies, they were like, well, this is a developmental situation, right? So we don't have to win. Like, who cares? Like, we want to get these kids lots of playing time, get them up to the MLS team so that, um, and then we can lose a bunch of times in order to play the right style. I think it was like Atlanta United, um, definitely in the USL where I follow that closely. We saw Atlanta United too play out of the back, like no matter what, right? Under what's the Mexican coach? What's his name? I can't think of it right now, but um, he was the coach of the first team and he ordered the second team. You always play out of the back, right? And so then you get like Charlotte Independence with these, you know, 28, 31 year old forwards just demolishing these 16 year old kids playing out of the back and uh, scoring a goal off them. And so at some point that shifted, um, all that to say, at some point that did shift, like even in the academy levels, maybe especially in the academy levels that, hey, winning is important. We need to train these kids to win no matter what, you know, developmental things need to happen. So I think it's a balance. You know, it depends, I think, coach to coach, general manager to sporting director, um, what they prefer. But um, I think winning is very important. And, and it seems like these guys want to win. And so I'm not too worried about that with our team, especially. But I don't know what you think about that. I completely agree. I don't think it's necessarily think that to be concerned about. It's just one of those. What are you prioritizing in the in the thought process and in how you're training the, the players? Because obviously the players want to win mm-hmm. in addition to developing their own skills. Um, and I think they would do... So you're probably seeing, and I don't know what Midwest United, the team we played this past weekend, I don't know what their record is, but you would assume that the same concepts of um, of sports apply to, to the kids in the academy as well. If you're going to go on and lose game after game after game, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter how well you're developing as an individual. You're going to get in your own head. You're going to yeah. have the mental aspect of the game creep in where you're just in a funk. You're not playing as well as you can because winning is not only fun, but it kind of facilitates better play all around. Absolutely. And, and and we saw that a few times already in the first few games uh, with the 17s against Chattox St. Mary and with the 16s against um, Midwest United. Midwest, yeah. So all of the, I mean, when you start scoring goals, you're getting the confidence. When you're winning games, you're getting the confidence. And that confidence carries over. It does. And I, I would even say, I mean, let's dig into this um, Chattox St. Mary's game because I would even say that after we scored – the first goal, it wasn't like didn't affect the other team. Something happened to Shattuck St. Mary's after we scored our second goal. And I think there was a little bit of a demoralized situation, especially when I think they decided to build out of the back. And we lined up and it just like we looked like we had confidence. Um, and we lined up with like the striker up high the wingers a little bit lower on the edges and then the eights just between behind them in the middle. So we have like five guys ready to pounce on whatever pass goes out and they still passed it five yards from the goalkeeper to the center back. And it was like three passes later that they were on their own back line fouling our player in order to, um, you know, it was a PK in order to, you know, keep it from going in. And so, I mean, I, at that point, it was really cool to see us demoralize a team because, you know, that style of play, this will be one of the first things we can talk about with the style of play. It, 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 it gives a very narrow margin for mistakes for the other team, especially in the back, right? And when so, you're causing that chaos. Exactly. I mean, it's scary. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got to be scary to try to play through St. Louis SC after we start figuring out the press a little bit or after we do it five, six times to you in a row. Well, and I think one of the things, too, is if you're going to high press, if you're going to um, you know, try to make the, the defense make the bad passes and swarm them the way we have been, and that example where the keeper made a bad pass and we kind of just took advantage and tried to cross it in, that's a great example of that's our style, and we're going to be doing that, but at the same time, if you're going to be doing that consistently, you have to rely on your defenders to hold the line and make sure that we're not getting caught flat-footed, we're not getting caught on the counter. Yeah, and, and, and that's uh, one thing I definitely noticed is that we're going to ask of all of our players in the entire lineup that 1v1 defending is going to be absolutely vital because if they're able to, and we saw it multiple times, if they're able to connect three passes or more, that means they have a little bit more of an advantage than normal um, versus against other teams against us because that means they've beat three or four of our players. And even oftentimes... It was like a lucky bounce, right? We get a foot in, it bounces off of us, and then it lands 
to the feet of a lucky, you know, St. Mary's player. And then you're off to the races and everybody's 1v1 at that point. And sometimes you're scrambling. Sometimes the entire formation gets totally scrambled. And that's what ended up happening in the, in the first goal is just like no one was in their correct position. Everyone was running for the ball and trying to cover for someone else. And that's what happens when it goes wrong, right? And so I'm, I'm sure we'll see a lot of that over the years. Um, but for the most part, more importantly, it was fun to watch it yeah. work. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> it, was, it was highly entertaining. Um, anytime you end a game 8-1, it's right. going to have some entertaining goals. Some of them, I mean, able to go back, again, going back to being able to watch these matches on replay um, at home, you can kind of like pause, rewind if you see something. It, it, it makes it more fun to get into uh, the analysis of it. Mm-hmm. So I I'm, did have notes that, you know, honestly, that high pre- that first bad pass by the keeper, facilitated by our high press. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was on display from the very beginning of our match. Um, we loved putting pressure on the ball the entire game. And it was almost unexpectedly where we would try to read where they would pass the ball, especially to their defense and, and center mids. Yeah. and uh, Or the defensive mids. And just trying to make them make bad passes, make them uncomfortable. Um, on the offensive side, I felt like I felt like this was our elite squad making one-touch passes, um, positioning themselves correctly to where the defense was playing, making those give-and-goes. It was on full display. Um, and trying to, trying to make the entire field playable. So there were so many switches, so many crosses from the back right to the left corner. Yeah. And they, they tried to find – and the – the awareness and the vision I think was pretty impressive for these kids. Every time Sergeant got the ball at like 40 yards from goal, he'd turn was always looking and yeah. Send it straight to the right winger on the run. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, so to do that, you have to have faith in the people who are receiving it. And I think that speaks to our forwards in just how um, aware they were of where the defense was playing. It seemed like it was a great scouting report too, uh, because they really, they really displayed some of the flaws in the defense of Shaq St. Mary's. Yeah. Um, a couple things. And they know that, each other too. Yeah. You can already tell, I know that wasn't very long that they were able to practice, like you said earlier, but like, yeah, they can already, you know, obviously Sergeant knows he can turn and he knows that in this case, I think it was Fapel was going to be on the run. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, every single goal was a little different. There were so many, I mean, <laughs> we had, I think what, six different guys responsible for goals um, we had five different guys play the full 90 minutes. It was, I mean, we had a, it was a full team effort. It wasn't taking nothing away from the um, Midwest United 16th game where Jackson Dolphins scored six goals. Um, I mean, this was, everybody was in on it. The subs were in on it. Um, and that seems to be a, another common theme is we move the ball around a lot and we move it around really well so far. It, it seems like, um, there is not one selfish player on the pitch, which is fun to see. There's not anybody that we necessarily have to play the ball through to make things happen. So Agreed. while we, while I'm looking to see who those stars might be in the future, um, nobody is sticking out as like a sore thumb. Yeah. And actually, you know, I think he's young. I think we've talked about this. I think Aaron Hurd is only like 15, but you know, obviously we scouted him for a reason. He's well known and his, uh, pedigree is good based on what he's done with other academies so far but you know of course he started this game and I was watching him closely and he definitely played like a 10 who also presses and tracks back right almost an attacking eight I guess in a way that box to box yeah he was all all over the field yeah but I mean honestly if there was he was definitely more than McGuire he was definitely higher up and looking for an attack looking to run past the striker because the striker was very willing to drop in and send it in um, behind him to a winger or to Hurd. And, you know, Hurd was a little rough at first. He was getting a lot of bad passes, but this was his first game with, with, the, uh, with the team. And as he grew in, you could see what he's really good at. You know, I think we already had video of him on a counterattack. That's not his forte, though he was very good at it in that video clip. He was really good in tight spaces inside the box, you know. He controls the ball. Give and goes, yes, exactly. And he's looking for those fancy passes, you know, to to guys running on. And so that was really fun to see. I think that's one wrinkle, like, as he gets older, um, I don't know how long we'll have him, but if, you know, it's going to be really fun to watch him play. Well, I mean, playing off other other players and kind of making those moves and looking for some of those – 
those stylish plays, you could see that some of the chemistry was already there in yeah. the second match. Um, I, I noticed that early on, um, over on the right side, uh, Sergeant Yao had some really good overlapping runs where you would have um, kind of Sergeant playing the ball back a little bit and then Yao would just take over mm-hmm. and Sergeant would just read that. It seemed to be seemed to be like they knew where each other needed to be and you could see some of those links being formed. Like you can see these guys, whether they've had good weeks of practice, whether they just are in their proper positions, but the, some of the chemistry in those passes, and especially in the midfield too, uh, it was it was pretty impressive to see early on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and especially, I think part of that too was this like being instilled in them that like they were constantly pressing, and then first right, and then there was definitely this like awareness like if there's a turnover, you flip a switch right, and it's like whether you're deep or whether you're high. I mean, it was like, there's a turnover and two or three guys are running, Everybody's right? On it. Ready for the pass. I don't know if there's a keyword they're calling out or something. Right. But like, I don't, I mean, people have eyes in the back of their heads. Yeah. They're aware of yeah. when that ball is turned over. Yeah. And then it's like, typically it seems like they're, they're being asked to, um, you know, one touch to get it away or two at most. And, throw it in there and it's like try to do one pat you know one touch passes from that point on until it hits the goal and and our forwards are just so good at driving forward so good at pushing the um the press and, and pushing the defenders it's just like again i don't know if they chose these forwards because they're talented and they could coach them or if they already looked like Basically, I think one thought I had was like, we almost have like 10 Lewis Hiltons on the field. You know what I mean? It's just like these guys are always pushing, always attacking. And, you know, the forwards are much better at, at dribbling at times. Definitely good at shooting. Um, it's something that all three of the of the top guys in the first half were really good at um, and displayed it too with some of the goals. And so, you know, obviously they're all skilled differently, but they're all pretty violent runners, right? They're well, all... and our, our midfielders are not just, um, you know, good at, good at passing the ball and good at reading the field for vision, but some of our midfielders seem to be some of our best athletic players. They're just our, some of our best athletes. Um, they can, they're, I mean, we've got a lot of, of running that occurs. Some of these mids, um, they don't seem to be, I mean, I'm not saying we have two number eights on the field at all times, but there is a lot of back and forth. These, these, they cover a lot of the field. Yeah. And they're also good at scoring goals. Some of our we have um, three of our midfielders have two goals or more. Four of our midfielders have two goals or more. Yeah, I mean they're they're getting in on the scoring action already. Right. And uh, Jacob Lucinian in particular is our penalty kick taker. So and he's a midfielder. I mean you're you're seeing that talent there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I say he's our PK taker. He's taken our only two shots two sure. different games. So there's clearly a reliance on that. There's clearly he's the top guy to take those shots right now coming from the midfield. I find that interesting too. And he's the six too. It's not like he's right. like pushing forward. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of exciting things just to see um, who has been playing the most in these first two or three games. Because I feel again, going back to not really sure the mindset of who you're playing and when and why, how often, how long, but if you're starting the first two or three games in a row, mm-hmm. there's clearly a reliance on you that you've got the talent. You're going to help us win games. We need you in that lineup. Uh, for our 17s, that's people like, at least in the first two games leading into Shattuck St. Mary, that's Caden Glover up front. Um, it's Jacob Lucinian in the mid. It's Josh Mayer, Nathan Yao uh, on defense, and Owen Spore. Those are our guys who have started started both of the first two Spore's games. Spore's a goalkeeper. Spore's a goalkeeper, yeah. yeah. So they've started, uh, they started both the first two games. Lucinian, based on the match recap we saw for Midwest United, Lucinian started that match too. And I would assume, uh, well, I shouldn't say I would assume, but you would think that Mayer and Yao, as well as they played against Shattuck St. Mary, would would have started yesterday. But we're still kind of waiting to see uh, what those starting lineups were just to kind of get that view. And, and I believe they're going to be included in the match recap coming up. But that that's another aspect of not just who's scoring goals, not just uh, who's handling the ball well, but defense in particular. I mean, you're looking at Mayer and Yao, and you're wondering – uh, Yao had some good runs. I saw uh, as a center back, you know, Mayer's one of his primary jobs in the high press is just make sure we don't get beat. Mm-hmm. And you figure whether it's practice, whether it's these first two games, um, there is something there. Uh, besides the, the fact that we know him, 
know how well, how good of a player he is. Um, that's obviously on full display here. So I don't know how long the starting streaks are going to last for these these guys, but those are the ones that I'm kind of like they're perking my ears already and yeah. kind of got my attention. Um, not just for the goal scoring, not just for the PK taking, not just for the, the smart passes, but there is clearly a level of trust uh, by the coaching staff to put them in the starting lineup both first two games. Yeah, and I'd say especially for Mayer um, and the center backs, like it's going to be kind of like a, a bittersweet thing for the center backs because a lot, it's what I meant to get to when I was mentioning 1v1s, that we're asking a lot of our center backs, right? Like if there's a counterattack, they're basically exposed at that point, right? And and they did a good job defensively, especially, I'd say. And and you can tell Mayer uh, took like a leadership role to some degree. You could see that sometimes, I think it was Solis was not able to get back quick enough because he was caught up hot upfield. That's, that's what happens with fullbacks sometimes. And um, Well, especially with the style that we're trying to play. Exactly, here. They're yeah. more like wingbacks. Yeah, they're, they get forward a lot. And so I think we'll see Lusinian like sitting back a lot too, but... Um, you know, Mayer jumped over to the wing, took the guy 1v1, and just ordered Solis to the middle, right? And so, I mean, that's expected, but still, like, it was nice to see that was very natural, right, for for Mayer to drop, you know, pull out wide in order to get the fullback to, to cover his spot in the center. And You almost expect him to try to take that role, but yeah. to see the others responding so well to it. I agree, yeah. I'm, I'm dwelling on it too much, but basically, not just in defense. I would say that our center backs in, in the one game that we were able to watch – both performed very admirably defensively, but also a lot's being asked of them going forward, right? And so I think Engel got cut out a little bit here and there. And so that was interesting to watch, like, being thrown into the fire for sure. I'm not sure he's used to, like, passing the ball. What's funny is once or twice he got forward, and I think he did a crossover. <laughs> so that was also yeah. fun to watch. Um, but, um, you know, we're asking a lot of those center backs. And so I imagine that means, like, it'd be really fun to be a center back for St. Louis City, um, but also scary probably. So Yeah, and I think um, – I just think the endurance and the stamina – Showed yeah. by all these players was pretty impressive. Like I listed out the the five players who played all ninety in that Shadow St. Mary game: Lusignan, Mayer, Sergeant McGuire, and Solis. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a couple defenders there, center uh, defensive mid. I mean, you're seeing guys who either we didn't get pressed enough for them to be uh, taking too much out of them, or they were just that good, or both, a combination of both. I mean. Those seeing those players and Sergeant with you know everything he provided on the wing, um, it was good to see. And that was another interesting thing is I wasn't honestly sure we would see any player last the full ninety. Hmm. Um, we spoke last show about some of the MLS Next um, roster rule type things where there's an expectation to get players a certain amount of playing time. I didn't know how much that would actually play into. And one of the, one of the things I was most excited to see. Um, play into the the sub situation uh unlimited subs it seems like we have or at least at least five subs but yeah that's what i was wondering is i wonder how many subs we get it looks like i'm already up to four in the second subbing It'll i keep would going, not though. be surprised if it was unlimited five let's see if there's a one after the fifth there's only five in the St. Mary's game so i have a feeling it actually might be five but we'll have to, add that we'll have to watch and ask. ask yeah Luis or Luis. Maybe even search. Yeah. Or we could ask around as well, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and so just to see, I mean, all those guys play the full 90, that was, that was another impressive thing that much. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, um, some people downplay athleticism, right? Like, um, almost like it's, a, it's a, a knock on a guy like, oh, he's athletic, meaning he can't, he has a terrible first touch, right? But no, it's such a vital part of the game. You look at men's national team, I think, under Burhalter, that's a really vital thing for the national team. And I think for a team like us, in all of Bundesliga as well, honestly, like physicality is like such an important thing. And so uh, MLS too. I mean, like I, I've said before, if there's a salary cap, you take your you take your edges however they come, right? Well, that's why these are so important because the, the rules for homegrowns and the rules for academy players are – I mean, the roster rules are skewed so much in favor of developing as many homegrown yeah. as many academy talent because they will—they'll not just provide you cheap labor. I mean, honestly, that's what it is. It's—it's 
it's the the most bang for your buck because yeah. you do, they don't count towards salary caps. It's not just you don't have to pay them as much because that's not the case. It's, they don't count just in the same way the DPs their full salary don't does not count towards mm-hmm. your salary cap. Same thing, same mindset applies on the other side with the homegrowns and the academy kids. Is you can bring a certain number, uh, which I would fully expect us to max out based on the the amount of um, focus that Lutz is putting on the academy and, and the the way that he's developing these players. It seems like we've always talked about it, it'd be cool to see one guy. I don't know. Is it too early to say two or three guys? Because the way it seems is we talked last show of, of Josh Mayer being the one of the two or three. Josh Mayer, Aaron Hurd were some of the the two obvious just from reputations and previous footage alone. Very well, if we see this same, and it's way too early, I fully admit, way too early to be talking about this kind of stuff. But no, it's not. I fully, I fully not see. Not at all. Well, I mean, we've got a year and a half. So time's yeah. ticking away, and the games are adding up. So you're seeing a, a guy like um, Lucinian play the, the full 90, take two PKs, start both matches, along with Mayer. Um, you're going to have guys who start heating up. Like Aaron Hurd didn't start the first match, started the second match. You could see him kind of getting his legs with all the other players. You're going to have some ebbs and flows, yes. You're not going to have somebody dominate the entire league, but you could easily see multiple of these players uh, develop into the first team. And then that's not even counting the fact that we're getting, and this is getting ahead of ourselves too, but we're getting a D3, quote-unquote D3 team in a few months. So who, if any of these players, are going to be on that squad because the schedules are not necessarily conflicting the entire season? Oh, yeah, that would be fun to watch. MLS Next, we were talking about this before the show. The U-17s play right now, as the schedule shows, which we don't know if it's set in stone, the 16s play an 18-game schedule through May. The U-17s have a 24-game schedule right now through May, uh, so they have 21 remaining. The upcoming uh, Reserve League for MLS starts in March and carries through the fall. So that mirrors MLS's schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've got all these guys wrapping up here in May. What are they going to do? Are they going to slot right in? Are they from school? Are they going to go back to? I mean, what are they? What are future plans? Are we going to see Josh Mayer nonstop here for the next twelve months? Yeah, it'd be cool. Um, wouldn't be at all surprised at that. And then on top of that, you know, and I do think we should wrap up and, and get started on Midwest United in a second. But um, you know, you look at the Red Bull system and. Their USL team has been so vital to, I know they've been sucking lately, but when they were really good, um, the first team was just, there were like five to seven players that would play on the USL squad one week and MLS the next week. And part of it was because they're so physical. They ask so much of their players and as far as running and tackling that they're if they're able to have this depth in the U19 or the USL team that just rotates in and out, that's wonderful. And if it's a system, if it's like pressing is your most important playmaker in some ways, um, you know, a kid doesn't have to have elite skill to press for 45 minutes, 60 minutes, 30 minutes, right? As a sub, they can do that at a very young age and still be very effective when put on the same field as a couple of DPs or something like that. So that's something to watch that in this system, I think youth are very useful, more useful than a team perhaps like LAFC, I would say. And a lot of the players could be role players. I mean, you're looking at developing players well-rounded, but once you get into next year, the year after, and you start roster building for that MLS squad, you're going to bring in your most talented 17s right now, yeah. your, your most talented reserve league players. You're going If they're good enough, that you deem good enough for MLS, you're going to bring them in, but in what role are they going to play? Like, Are mm-hmm. you going to have... Josh Mayer just be your, your center back? Are you going to have uh, Jake Lusinian uh, fill a slot role in the defensive mid? I mean, are you going to bring in your – and who are you going to bring in your DPs? How are they going to conflict with those? Are they going to take playing time? There's a lot that goes into more so than just who the most talented player on the 17s or the reserve squad is. And a more positive way to say that is um, are they going to give your DPs rest? That's another way to look at it. You know, that's kind of kind of the argument I was making there is that – um, we can give guys healthier legs if we have like a three-one, you know, lead, and we just want to press the hell out of them for the rest of the game. It'd be so much fun to watch a seventeen-year-old come on and hold the line, right? So oh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, anything you want to say about Midwest United before we move on? 
Well, we are, we know about as much from that game as the recap gave us. We know the 16s just annihilated their 16s. Um, and one quick note, in, in all of these three games, like as you're seeing these scores, I find it interesting to look at the level of competition you're playing. So we're all in MLS next. We all These are all academies. Um, the Fire is an MLS academy. Shattuck St. Mary is an established school. Like they develop soccer players. They have for a while. They were part of USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me was not not just because of what the score was eight to one from the 17s, but the level of competition you would expect Shattuck St. Mary to be a high level of competition, just like we would expect from the yeah. Fire. Midwest United, there's a lot more unknown. They just this is their first year in MLS next, similar to us, but they. They don't have um, MLS aspirations. They're not that. They're mm-hmm. they're a separate academy. They um, and so there was seeing the eleven zero to that. You would assume um, that Midwest United isn't up to the caliber typically as a Shattuck St. Mary's or Chicago Fire, but then their seventeens go and beat ours. <laughs> so again, they scored a quick goal with the the seventeen. So the recap said it best. They played from behind most of the first half, conceding one to mid. Midwest United eight minutes into the game, not mm. too much. Unlike, um, unlike I think what Shattuck St. Mary's they scored yeah. early. So we're interesting. We're starting to see a little bit of a pattern. Yeah. I don't want to read too much into three games, but three games starts to make a pattern of uh, conceding early. Mm. And so you wonder kind of how that's going to be addressed going forward. If there there aren't too many things that I can poke holes in throughout, that's probably one of them. Yeah. Is, whether it's you start off too aggressive, um, you're just too amped up. I don't know what specifically. Again, we haven't watched anything from the Midwest United game. But it's noteworthy, I think, that uh, we're playing from behind to start off pretty mm-hmm. consistently. Agree. Yeah, it is a pattern, even if it is a small one. Uh, you know, prove us wrong, fellas. I would love to see it. Um, but they came back. I mean, they came back totally. and took the lead. Yeah. So that, I mean, they, they ultimately. You that's know, Perhaps that's a pattern as well. It, I think it is. I mean, they're, they're clearly good at coming back. It's just they couldn't finish this one off. Mm-hmm. So those two later goals uh, kind of did it in. They lost 3-2. to two. Um, But, you know, went went from losing 1-0 to coming back two straight, and then, you know, they, they lost it there at the end. But there was a fight. There was the fire. I think there's obviously likely some fundamental work that's going to go on. There's some... Um, just shifting of strategy when you, you're playing from behind, you're keeping a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe uh, do you want to continue the high press, continue the uh, same attacking mindset when you have a, a goal or a two two goal lead. Um, are you going to start protecting a lead a little more? Or are you going to stay on the? I mean, there's a lot of those questions. I think I'm looking forward to seeing develop as kind of the next few games come. Yeah, I agree. And um, can't remember what I was going to say. Shoot, that's going to kill me. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, what What is next is Indiana Fire is the next game for the U-17s this weekend at noon. Oh, that's what I was going to say is, uh, you know, there is the video that we watched. Surely Midwest United watched that video, right? If all they had to do was search a, a Google search to see if, uh, if it was available. And so, you know, maybe, perhaps word is out on, on the team and the style and they knew Hey, we got to do this and this and this to try to beat a crazy high pressing team. So, well, it's another it's another thing it's an for a new team. It, yeah, there's no scouting report. Right. So I'm sure that we, helped us. We may have some things that we saw from Shattuck St. Mary's in the past or from Chicago Fire, but no team had anything on us until the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, it will be interesting to see how teams, especially those with uh, scouting departments or MLS affiliates that have more resources how they adapt to our style. Mm-hmm. Are they going to work on a counter? Are they going to bunker down? Um, you know, how are they going to fight it? Agree. Agree. Well, it'll be fun to see if we can get some news about the last game and, and see what we can glean from the next game. Something that um, I'm going to try to revive is I have this XG form that I'm going to share with Matt. So perhaps we can rewatch this uh Shattuck St. Mary's game and get some XG information out uh, for what it's worth that worked well for uh, a friend of mine. And so um, it's worked for me once. I just need to try to get on the, the horse to try to do it again because it does take a lot of manual labor, I guess, in a way. So, And it's one of the more exciting things to me because I'm a bit of a, a stat geek. Yeah. I, and I like to go uh, – research is one of my uh, – research and statistics, one of my more favorite classes. But I enjoy seeing trends in data. So what can data illuminate from what we're just seeing with our eyes? Like we see who scores goals. Mm-hmm. We see 
who seems to be making a, a quality pass or who is getting off a good shot. But what, what does the XG say? And it's been a pretty consistently used, similar to like war in baseball, where it's like mm-hmm. the, the new thing that is really illuminating and doing a pretty reliable uh, way of tracking your, your more quality attackers. Especially when looked at over a long period of it time, like really you said. Well. Yeah. It trends really well. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm excited to see if it's possible to apply that to some of these players and then see how that trends to next summer as we start getting yeah. a new team. And then are we, are we, we able yeah. to identify based on that some of the players who may be ready for the next level? Yeah. If they perform very similarly with two different teams, with two different uh, personnel, then there's you know, a, good, a, good, a good possibility that they're pretty good. All right, that's it for us today. Um, Thanks, Matt, for coming over to my house so we can do this. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And we're going to see about getting another show out this week. And if not, um, we'll try to get another one out next week so that we kind of keep some consistency, which is our goal. It's our battle, I guess, is a better way to phrase that. Well, we have weekly matches now, so there's always something to talk about at this point. We're we're not in an off-season mode. Yep. Yeah, we're not at all. Yeah, good call. Um, All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be talking to you soon. 